Gathered in His name to worship Him, we have come into His house. Gathered in His name to worship Him, we have come into His house. Gathered in His name to worship Christ the Lord. Oh, worship Him, Jesus Christ the Lord. Just forget about yourself, amen. And just forget about yourself. Concentrate on Him and worship Him. Just forget about yourself. Concentrate on Him and worship Him. Oh, just forget about yourself. Concentrate on Him and worship Christ the Lord. Oh, worship Him, Jesus Christ the Lord. And lift up holy hands. So let us lift up holy hands. Magnify His name and worship Him. Let us lift up holy hands. Magnify His name and worship Him. Let us lift up holy hands. Magnify His name and worship Christ the Lord. Oh, worship Him, Jesus Christ the Lord. I give my mind completely to Make it all brand new, change my life. Oh, let me live in all that's true. And I just want to be like you. So take me and more.
together the heart of worship when the music fades when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to breathe something that's overworked That will bless your heart 
is not what you have required and you search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus, King of endless world. No one could express how much you deserve. Though I'm weak and poor, oh, all I have is yours, every single breath. And I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. search much deeper within through the way things appear and you're looking into my heart and I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made When it's all about you Oh, it's all about you, Jesus And I'm coming back to the heart of worship When it's all about you Oh, it's all about you, Jesus. And I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Amen. Do you love Him? Hallelujah. Let's sing another song. I stand, I stand in awe of you. Same key. G. You are beautiful beyond description. Too marvelous for words. Too wonderful for like nothing ever seen or heard and who can grasp your infinite wisdom who can
can fathom the depths of your love. You are beautiful beyond description. Majesty enthroned above. And I stand, I stand in awe of you. Oh, I stand with thanksgiving in your heart. Amen. It's just a cleansing that we seek. Amen. We just want to pour ourselves out and just let the Holy Spirit wash through us. Amen. And wash the filth of this world away from our lives, from our minds, from our families. Amen. So that we could be pure and holy before Him. Hallelujah. I don't have any uh, special needs to report, which is kind of rare nowadays, but uh, I'm thankful that... Uh, it just seems like God is moving on the scene and touching people's lives. Amen. And I'm glad for the good reports. And I know there's many that are still sick. Please continue to remember your pastor's wife, Sister Becky. I know she's still recovering from the virus. 
Amen. And also, Brother Ernest Fulcher is still recovering. Amen. I'm sure he's still weak. And um, remember uh, uh, my Aunt Sherry in prayer, if you would, and um, any others that may be fighting this virus. Our hearts go out to them. Amen. Do you have unspoken prayer requests by uplifted of hands? Amen. God knows your needs. Amen. And we'll be praying with you. I'd like to ask Brother Holloway if he'd make his way to the front. And just to pray over the rest of the service and any special needs you may have. Amen. We appreciate Brother Holloway and it's glad to have him and the visitors with him. Amen. Praise the Lord, church. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to come tonight and give you thanks for your grace. Lord, we do stand in awe of you, your grace, your love, your long-suffering, Lord. Lord, we thank you for being able to come into your house of worship and hear the songs of praise and worship to your name, to feel your atmosphere, Lord, and to be able to enter into something different, Lord, than we've been in much of this week, Lord, as we work and we go about our lives, and Lord, we get involved with things, and Lord, it's just good to be able to come into your presence and be able to feel those things melt away. Lord, I ask tonight that you will bless this service, O oh God. Lord, may I gather together, not be in vain. I know it won't be, Lord, for you promised wherever two or three are gathered. You promised, Lord, that you'd be in the midst. And, Lord, I believe there's believers that gather here tonight in expectation to get something from you. Lord, I ask your grace upon, O oh God, each one of those unspoken prayer requests. Lord, upon Brother Barry's wife, O oh God, and different ones that are being afflicted, O oh God, by the virus that's still going through the land. But, Lord, we know that you're the great balm of Gilead, O oh God, that you're still a great physician, you're still a great healer, and we can depend upon you for every need we have in our mortal body, O oh God, as well as our spiritual being. So, Lord, tonight we pray that you minister to both, Lord. May you minister to our bodies where we have need of it, O oh God. But, Lord, most of all, we ask that you minister to our souls. Lord, may we not leave here the same tonight, O oh God. For your prophet told us that we'll leave here, O oh God, either better people, or, Lord, we'll leave worse. Lord, I'm trusting tonight every soul under the sound of my voice to leave here better, O oh God. May there be something come across this pulpit tonight, O oh God, that edifies, that will strengthen us, O oh God, that will give us that portion that we have need of. For, Lord, I know each one of us still have much need, O oh God, as long as we're still in this mortal body. So, Lord, we thank you tonight as we commit the service in your hand. Bless your bride around the world, wherever she might be, wherever those who gather in your name. May they find your grace tonight. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, brother. You may have your seats for a short period of time. Amen. To put Brother Matt on the spot and ask him if he would have a song. Uh, we're going to sing a little uh, song as he's getting prepared there. Appreciate Brother Matt and the musicians and all their contribution. Amen. We certainly couldn't do it without you, so just want to say thank you for uh, your sweet atmosphere that you bring with you. And, and it's just so nice to worship with you. Amen. Hallelujah. <clears throat> I'd like to sing that song through it all. Kiev. Through it all, oh, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus, oh, I've learned to trust in God. His word. 
I've had many tears and sorrow. I've had questions for tomorrow. Many times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, He gave me blessed consolation that my trials only go to make me strong. Amen. in Jesus Oh, I've learned to trust in God Through it all Oh, through it all I've learned to depend upon His Word I've been a lot of places And I've seen a lot of faces There were times I felt so all alone In my lonely hours Those precious lonely hours Jesus let me know that I am His own. Sing it now. Could I know what faith in God could do? Once again now. Through it all. Through it all. I've learned to trust in Jesus. Oh, I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, 
Brad, if you'd make your way forward at this time. Amen.
Amen. My, thank you, Brother Matt, for the beautiful song. Hallelujah. Man, let's stand and sing together as our pastor makes his way. That song is on my heart. I sing praises to your name, Key of G, please. Man, what a terrible place to be. Lost and without hope. Man, I'm so thankful for the grace of my Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm thankful the day I met him at the cross of Calvary. Amen. Let's sing this together. We sing praises to your death. Oh, Lord, praises to your death. Oh, Lord, for your So it's going to get warmer here. Uh, we welcome all of you to the house of the Lord tonight. And uh, let's bring a uh, few prayer requests here for you this evening, if you don't mind. Uh, we want to remember uh, Brother Fulcher, who's recovering. Sister Sarah Buchanan, who's not well. Uh, Lucas and uh, Mitchell, both of them are at the end of term. So they're uh, tied up this evening studying. The Whitlocks, the Pritchards, the Jacksons, the Drums. Sister Shirley Buchanan, not here tonight. Uh, the Sylvesters as well. We want to remember um, Brother Jared Mead and uh, his father, as most of you know, I think his father passed away suddenly, had a heart uh, embolism. Uh, and um, we just want to remember Brother Jared in, in prayer. That was certainly uh, a shock to the family. Also as well, Sister Becky is not well tonight. She just had a, a tough day and... Um, just would ask you just to remember her in prayer tonight for her breathing and uh, just the complications with the, with the virus. So we ask you to remember that need tonight especially. Let's bow our heads together. 
How many of you have a special need, a private need that you want to give to him? If you had a minute with the Lord Jesus tonight, what would you say to him? What request would you give to him? So I want you to make it just as personal now tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to be able to come in your presence. Lord, I believe every one of us, if we had just a few minutes in your presence and we had an opportunity to think about what we would say or what we would ask and what we would petition you for. Lord, by faith tonight, we do exactly the same thing. We just, we just bring these needs before you because we believe, Lord, that you're omnipresent, that you're here among us, Lord. You're able to listen to the cry of every heart. And Lord, for these requests that have been listed, for these things that sometimes, Lord, we, we don't fully even understand the extent or the weight of the burden that people feel. But, Lord, I commit them to you, and I pray that you would just be gracious and just visit each one, Lord. Speak to every heart. We want to say that we love you, and we thank you for this little opportunity we have tonight, midweek, to be able to just pause in your presence and just enjoy the goodness of God. Lord, have your way among us, we pray. Forgive us of anything, anything in our lives that might hinder the moving of the Holy Spirit. But, Lord, come, I pray, and just open your Uh, open the the volume of the book, Lord. Open the words and give us understanding, I pray. I commit the people in every need, especially those who are sick and hurting tonight, I commit them into your hands. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask you to turn in the Bible, if you don't mind, while you're standing, and uh, then we'll let you take your seats. I've got a couple of other announcements here that I want to make, but uh, we'll just do our reading tonight. Matthew chapter 19. Because it's nice to put this first. Good to have the Holloways here tonight. God bless you and uh, each and every one. May the Lord richly bless you. Um, We have a number of folks that are not well and uh, asking to be remembered in prayer. Matthew chapter 19. And verse 27. I just want to read a common scripture. Scriptures are common because we go to them often. We read them often. And they're familiar to us. And that's a good thing. Matthew chapter 19. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have, what shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye, shall, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Quite an interesting picture he paints to them. Ye that have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye shall also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, brethren, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated tonight. Now, I'd like to also ask you to remember uh, Brother Russell Terry, who is uh, a member of our assembly from afar. He lives in Ohio. Known Brother Russell for many, many years, originally from Wichita, Kansas. And uh, Brother Russ is a, a very um, a regular uh, listener and, and uh, supporter of, of the work here. And uh, his mother, June Terry, 
uh, is 92 years old. She was just she had a stroke and uh, uh, dealing with some issues with dementia, and she was put into a uh, home. And when they did that, they had to test her, do a 14-day quarantine, and she tested positive for the virus. And so uh, he asked us tonight especially to remember that need in prayer. And uh, her name is June Terry. So for those of you that write down requests, if you want to remember her. Uh, we know someone who was 94 who got past the virus and uh, living to tell about it. So uh, we have a word of encouragement for Sister June. Also as well, uh, you probably heard the notice about, uh, if you read your update today, uh, the males uh, who are going to be here at least another three years and uh, they uh, asked if he would remain, and he went through the selection process that the doctors uh, go through at a residency, and uh, so they're going to be here for another three years. And they were excited, we were excited, and have been praying for, uh, for, for that now for about a month or so. I'm pleased to announce as well that Andrew and Caitlin Sylvester had a baby girl last night, the last night, the day before, and uh, she is still in the NICU, in the neo, in neonatal intensive care unit, uh, she had a little bit of fluid on her lungs, and they want her to maintain a proper oxygen saturation level before they let her go home. Uh, they're giving her some oxygen now, but they want it to remain uh, healthy and steady for three days, and then they'll let it go home. But Andrew and Caitlin are both very excited and uh, very happy. And uh, I said, Brother Andrew, it's something that uh, you've got that I don't have. That is a daughter. So God gave me beautiful daughters-in-law and beautiful granddaughters, so we're thankful for that. As we speak tonight, Brother Anwar Javed is landing in Pakistan and back on home territory. After seven years, Brother Anwar uh, went back to Pakistan to visit. Uh, he's going to be there until around December 22nd. Uh, naturally, uh, the country's excited. Well, uh, not everyone in the country's excited, but uh, there are many people in the country who are excited I thought they were going to declare a national holiday by the base, uh, on the basis of the schedule they prepared for him. Uh, he's got to be everywhere uh, in the country over the next three weeks and visiting with family, catching up with all the uh, relatives and uh, visiting churches, and everybody wants him to come and speak. And in their, in their culture, uh, it's important for him to come to their church. That's what's, that's what's honoring is when he stands in their pulpit. Uh, he's like a hero returning to the homeland, you know, still alive to uh, share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, he's, um, he's on his heart. I know that he would love to go back there and live. Uh, he's got to stay long enough to fulfill his immigration. He still does not have a passport. He's going back on his Pakistani passport. And uh, uh, he has, still has to fulfill some of those requirements. So he's not, he's not moving there. He's just visiting there and then coming back again and going back over to Pakistan. So we've been in uh, contact with Brother Anwar over the last couple of weeks, and he's been keeping me up to date on, on this whole thing. And uh, now he's uh, going back into the, uh, into the country again. So we're delighted for Brother Anwar. I told him, I said, uh, we will certainly help you get that done. But I said, you've got to send us pictures. So we want, we want pictures of the parade uh, when, they, when they have it down Main Street in, uh, in Pakistan. So... Uh, if you don't mind, remember Brother Anmar. I'm sure there's some people who probably remember what it was like seven years ago. Uh, and so we just trust that the Lord will watch over him and let his angels encamp around about him. <clears throat> All right. Now, many, many times I think about just the opportunities that we have to uh, 
to be able to just come together and do a real simple Bible study. So this is what I want to do tonight. And I just I really had this on my heart, and I just trust it will be a blessing to you. And if it's, if it's too cold, let the deacons know back there. Just wander back down there, and uh, we'll, we'll try to make it as pleasant as we possibly can for you tonight. But if, if you don't mind, just give me a, a, little, uh, a little, uh, little of your attention here just for tonight, and I'll, I'll try to be uh, brief and try to be as compact as I can. We've been talking about this subject of the word default, and um, it's, it's kind of opened up something in me that I, I just had never really thought about. Some of the, some of the, uh, the, the values, some of the uh, truths, some of the doctrines uh, that are there, and we've talked about several uh, different ones, and I want to jump on, on the, uh, uh, the thought that we left off on a couple of Wednesday nights ago. Uh, I believe that as a people, we are certainly blessed and privileged to be able to uh, have the understanding we have, to have the attention of the Almighty that we have. I, I believe we are blessed because we have his presence. We're not just blessed because, uh, you know, you come to this church, or you're not just blessed because uh, you went to Jeffersonville and got a handful of dirt off Brother Bram's grave. You're blessed because of his presence. We are blessed because we are the children of God. And Moses gives the admonition to the children of Israel. He says, what nation is there so great that has statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law, which I set before you this day? Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them to your sons and your, your grandchildren and, and generations to come. This is the job that uh, we have to do. But he wanted to make sure that we understood something. We are never to forget the great things that God has done for us. They are great things because they came from God. They are actually God-breathed. They are inspired by God. And so therefore they're great and they're true and they will never fail. So he says, uh, take heed to yourself and, and keep your soul diligently because now you can. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit. You have the companionship of the Advocate who is going to help you through the times that you live in. And I believe that that's a very, very important thing for us to have him on our side. And, and never forget the things which you have seen and heard. Never forget the things which God has revealed to you. So in a sense... We are not like, every, and I say this, I say this gently, all right, and I say this by grace. We are not like everybody. We don't think like everybody else. We don't make decisions like everybody else makes. We don't, we don't have standards like everybody else. God has raised the bar higher for the bride of Jesus Christ because of the great revelation that we have and the great understanding that he's given to us of the word of God. How many can say amen? I mean, we are people who know, right? We are people who, uh, you know, there's, there's things out there in the denominational world that they're wrestling with. Uh, it's hard for them to identify, should a man or a woman be a minister? Is it okay for them to be a homosexual and still be a minister? Is it okay to play rock music in the, in the church? They, they still debate over things like that. Uh, listen, they're still wondering whether the Bible is pertinent for our day. Sorry, we, we've been there, done that. We've moved on beyond that. That's, that's what I'm saying. So God's given us a higher understanding. He's given us a greater understanding. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that boastfully. I'm saying that by grace. That God has given us a, a absolutely tremendous understanding of the Word of God that has moved the bar pretty high for us as believers. 
And therefore, we should not be wallowing around in the world and trying to get away with stuff that the world uh, does without thinking. Uh, you know, trying to, uh, you know, participate in worldly things out there and find it in a way that nobody will, I won't get caught. Nobody will know, uh, even though I go to a message church. Hey, listen, if that's in your heart, have at it. If that's in your heart, have at it. But to me, the bride of Christ has moved uh, higher in, in terms of a standard of living and a way of living and a way of thinking. We have moved higher than this world. And God help us to even rise higher to the place where this world won't even be able to contain us, right, and hold us. So a thing that is default is a thing that exists or happens if you don't do anything intentionally to change it. Right? You're familiar with this. A selection that's made, usually automatically or without active consideration. An absolute, by contrast, is something that is regarded as universally valid or which might be viewed without relation to other things. If something is an absolute, then it's not up for debate. It is the way it is. It is what it is. And there's nothing you can do to change it, right? The decisions of the Supreme Court are considered absolute within themselves because they are based on the defense of the Constitution and they are, uh, they are not to be discussed or debated after the decisions are made, okay? So you don't hear of people going back to make an appeal uh, uh, for a Supreme Court decision, right? As far as I know, because that's the end of the road, and what they decide is what they decide. You can have an appellate court, you can have a uh, you know secondary court, you can have different courts along the way, and you can appeal and appeal and appeal, and you appeal until you come to the Supreme Court, and that's like sitting at the throne of God and asking the question, and God gives you the response. There's no more debate, no higher power, right? Are we okay? That's what an absolute is. An absolute truth is something that's true at all times, all places, something that's always true no matter what the circumstances are. I'm reviewing a little bit, but this is the moment I just have a little fun here, all right? And I like these things because these are absolute truths. There are a lot more trees on earth than there are stars in the galaxy. There are billions of stars and trillions of trees. I don't know if you knew that or not. And I'd like to know, really, who counted. But I don't know. Clouds may look lightweight, but the average cumulus cloud you see on a sunny day weighs around 1.1 million pounds. <clears throat> now, I'd also like to know who weighed uh, or even gave an approximate weight of a cloud. I really don't know. I've driven through many. I we often do it coming down here when we come down Fancy Gap Mountain. Keith will tell you. And let me tell you, uh, I've flown through millions and millions of clouds, and they're not light and puffy and have no substance at all. They really do. And I've... Um, uh, it's been rough on some occasions here, but I've never weighed one. I've never talked to anybody who did. Every year, the Bible sells over 100 million copies. It is uh, translated in over 600 different languages. Those things are true, and they're not up for debate. Now, <clears throat> we, we talked last time when we talked about uh, some of our default beliefs. All of our default uh, things we understand are not wrong. They're not incorrect. Some things are, like most of us believed coming up through the systems that Eve ate an apple, right? That was kind of, that's kind of a default belief if you're in a denominational church, that Eve ate an apple and that caused the fall. Well, God's not afraid to challenge our understanding of the Word of God, right? God does not want you to challenge Him, but He's not afraid to challenge your understanding of the Word of God because He wants to make you right. None of us are in a position to straighten God out, but God is in a position to straighten us out. Is that all right? So therefore, if we have a default belief and the default belief is incorrect, God's not afraid to challenge that. Some of our default beliefs, though, are correct. 
And we mentioned some of them last week. You can't expect, uh, and, and the default belief that I mentioned last time was that seeds grow. Everything grows by seed. You can't expect a baby to be born a man. It's got to grow. And we grow in Christ to the full stature. Not somebody get converted tonight, tomorrow preach the gospel, but we grow up into manhood, into the stature of Christ. So we have a beginning, and we have a maturing, and we have a harvest at the end of that. And uh, this is something that we find all the way through Scripture there, uh, you know, from the book of Genesis all the way through. So we can graphically portray it this way, and I did last time, uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Paul says that we henceforth no more be no more children tossed to and fro and carried with every wind of doctrine. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a child in the season of childhood. It is, however, not so great when an adult still acts as a child. Or when a child thinks he's an adult and can order adults around. Hello? So there's a season for everything. Now, I want you to, um, just one more little caution here. I want you to stay with me. This is going to be sort of typical until we take a turn here up the road. So I want you to just uh, get the, the, the basics here. Paul says that uh, as children, we're in a position of instability. Our roots are not deep as children. And so therefore, when the winds of deceit and the, and the pressures of the enemy come against us, uh, children would have a tougher time standing and reasoning through things than, than those that are full-grown would. But speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So our job, in, in a sense, our, our responsibility or our path in this life is to become more like Christ. Right? To be able to say, I do that which only pleases the Father. We're not, we're not here just to satisfy ourselves. We're not here just to make a bunch of money. We're not here to build a kingdom. We are here rather to do things like Christ did. Because that was his heart. His heart was to do things that please the Father. He lived to do that. He sought to know that. And he fulfilled that in every, every, uh, turn in his life. And so this was important. We find in, in, Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, and all things are past and are passing away, and all things are become, have become and are becoming new. So there's a process where everything changes and everything, everything, uh, all of a sudden now begins to align itself to a different absolute or a different standard, right? And when we were in the world and we were young, uh, when we were sinners, we aligned to the values and the priorities of this world. If they like that kind of music, we like that kind of music. If they wore their hair that way, we wore their hair, our hair that way. If they had lipstick, we had lipstick. Not we, as in me, but people who wear lipstick had lipstick, right? But now, we, Paul is saying, we align ourselves to a different kind of absolute. We have a different standard now. And so therefore, we align ourselves with that, and everything becomes new. And we're willing to distance ourselves from that. We're not trying to please this and that. We're only trying to please this. Okay, so the things of God become our priority. They become our absolute. All things are of God who has recognized us to, reconciled us to himself by Christ Jesus. He has forgiven us. He's paid the price. He's purchased us. Let me tell you, uh, we, are, we are not even our own. We are bought with a price. How many can say amen? And therefore, we are the possession of someone else now. And we are under his leadership and under his guidance. But he does that because of love, not because of domination. Now watch what he says. When you become a son or a daughter of God, your disposition changes. Your attitude changes. You're all. Your look towards life 
and towards others changes. I need you to take note of something here. I need to practice with this. See that right there? That's the asterisk. Now, the asterisk is there primarily for me, initially, because I need to remind you this is an important quote here. Then when you see it, you should go, oh, this is an important statement, okay? At the risk, at the risk of showing you another quote that doesn't have an asterisk, you could say, well, I don't need to pay attention to that one. That's not true. This one is really important. All of them are pertinent, okay? But this one's really pertinent. Are we okay? So that's the reason for the asterisk. Now let's look at it again. When, when you become a son or a daughter of God, your disposition changes. Not your looks, not your height, not your mom and dad, but inwardly something changes. Your attitude changes. You're all Your look towards life, your outlook towards life changes and towards others changes. Whereas at one point we would strike back, now we turn the other cheek. Whereas once we would criticize because we've been criticized, now we have an attitude of humility and we would be quick to forgive. Right? That's what he's referring to here, folks. These are very practical things here, as, as he's describing. When you become a son or a daughter of God. Sons and daughters of God uh, should not be told that they need to control their temper. Sons and daughters of God should have enough of the Holy Ghost in them as, to act as a checker, so that even if they get upset about something, they're going to be quick to repent and go to somebody and say, forgive me, I got upset and I didn't mean to say what I, what I said. It doesn't mean that you just have joined church. It means that you have become regenerated and you have become a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away and God has spoken to you. And you have become a new creature. I, I, we could take we could take a lot of time on this particular statement, but I, I want you to notice something that if God has spoken to you, if God has given you a word, if God's given you a revelation, you remember before I used the scripture that with God all things are possible, right? Uh, with God, all, nothing shall be impossible with God, but with God all things are possible. That word nothing is two words. Uh, nothing is two words. No thing, no thing that that comes from God, no, no word that comes from God, freshly given to you as a revelation, no thing that comes from God is unable to fulfill itself. Nothing that comes from God doesn't have the power to make it come to pass exactly as God's, God has said. If God has given you a word, it's, it's going to come to pass. Because God's word doesn't fail. Right? I've heard, I've had people tell me, well, you know, God gave me this job. And, uh, you know, they're very excited about it. God, God spoke to me, told me to take this job. And then a month later, I, I you know, I see a prayer request in and they'll say, uh, you know, I need a job. I, I thought, well, didn't God give you that job? 
Yeah, but you know what? The boss, uh, he, he, he didn't like the, the way I did things. And uh, they wanted us to work an extra hour and they didn't pay us overtime and, and, and this and something else. And I'm thinking, hold on, hold on. That's how the world thinks about it, right? That's how the world would look at it. If God gave me this job, if God, if God pronounced something, He's given you not only the promise, but He's given you the power within that promise to make it come to pass, and nothing's going to hold it back. Now, I know that sometimes, I mean, you know, job situations change. I'm not just, I'm just throwing that out as an example. But the point is, is that if, if God has actually spoken to you, then you should look for that word to come to pass, not fail. And you have become a new creature. In other words, this, this is not just me now, but this is Christ in me fulfilling His will for my life. Because we have become a son and daughter of God. This is not the old way of doing things. This is not the old way of looking at things. This is the new way. This is God's way now. Because I'm a son of God. And I realize I'm a son of God. And if He has spoken something over me, if He has uh, g- given me the ability, for instance, if there's a calling in my life to preach the gospel, let me tell you, that's not going to fail. That's going to, as long as I don't mess with it, right? As long as I don't try to build a kingdom or marry two wives or something stupid like that. Let me tell you, if God's given me that, that's going to come to pass. And you know what? The devil's not going to be able to stop that. Because it, where does it come from? It doesn't come from me. It comes from God. It doesn't come from mom and dad. It comes from God. Watch now. I need you to hold on a second here. Because the whole goal of what God is doing in your life is to bring you to a suitable harvest. A harvest that He's pleased with. And one that He says, that's done. I'm going to take it home now to the Father's kingdom. I'm going to take it into the, into the garner. And Brother Branham says that in this life, we are to represent God and eternal life. We are to represent God and eternal life. Jesus represented God, didn't He? He was God. Would you agree that the Apostle Paul represented the kingdom of God? Represented God? Represented eternal life? Would that be alright? Do you believe Brother Branham represented the kingdom of God? And eternal life. He says we're supposed to do that. So in other words, the choices and decisions that I'm going to make, I need to make them in accordance with that kingdom I can't see and live them out in a world I can see. But my primary objective is to do things in a way that pleases the Father, right? There's only one form of eternal life. That's God. We are products of His. We are genes of His Spirit. Then we should conduct ourselves, women and men, like the Bible said for us to do. Christian gentlemen, sons and daughters of God, born of the Spirit of God, manifesting the light in our day and scattering it. If that's true then I have a great responsibility to teach my congregation, and every minister does, to minister to a congregation, not to try to impress them, not even try to grow the congregation in numbers, but rather to teach the, the, the congregation how to conduct yourself like a real son or a daughter of God. How to conduct, how, how young people should conduct their lives as an honor and a reflection of the kingdom of heaven. How that we as parents should raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And they would grow up and have sound values and sound biblical standards in their life. And have a sense of responsibility and integrity and character in their lives. Wouldn't that be a good thing to do? 
For a minister, to me, that seems like if, if, we, if we are commissioned then to conduct ourselves as, uh, as, a ref, as reflectors of the eternal kingdom of God, Christian gentlemen, sons and daughters of God, born of the Spirit of God, manifesting the light, scattering it, my goodness, then every service should count. Every service should be full of instruction that we can give to people to say, here's what you can do in this situation. Here's how we pray. Here's how we seek God. Uh, here's what the Bible says about this. Here's what the message teaches about that. This is how we should conduct ourselves in the house of God. Everything, everything we learn to do reflects the kingdom we're moving into. Not the world we're coming out of. Are we okay? Who cares about the world we're coming out of? It's falling apart. It's Satan's, Satan's kingdom. And so therefore, we're not worried about it. We find that Paul says the same thing here. He says that God has given to me a measure of grace, a portion of grace, not all of it. All the instruction was not included in Paul's day. But he said he's given a measure of grace that to become a wise master builder, to lay a foundation. And now we had to be careful to build on that foundation in alignment with the absolute that God has raised. Right? It's all about tying to that absolute. Are we okay? Now, therefore, in this life, we have to deal with this, this issue of decisions. Decisions that all of us are faced with. And someone asked me a little while ago, and they thought, well, you know, since you're older, uh, does everything just kind of roll along? Does everything just kind of happen automatically because you've been there, done that, been around the block, uh, seen it all, done it all, been there? Does it get easier as you get older? I'll be the first to tell you it does not. Because we're still, I know some of you old folks are nodding your head. I don't know if it's sleep or if it's an agreement. Uh, but I will tell you this, that there are still choices to make. Remember what I told you before about uh, a boat going through the water. Whenever a boat passes through the water, it leaves in its path a wake. The bigger the boat, the bigger the wake. Right? So when you move through life as an individual, as a single person, you have a wake that follows you. And it's important, you know, because you, uh, you, you have, there's consequences for you passing through this life and you affect other people. If, if you're a bigger boat, then you're going to affect more people. So, for instance, uh, you know, as a pastor here, uh, if, if, I, if I made a, a wrong choice or a wrong decision, uh, it's going to affect the assembly. Sometimes it'll take a long time to repair that. Sometimes it's almost impossible to repair uh, some decisions, some choices that we make, right? I know ministers who've made poor choices in life and never recovered from it. Maybe you do too. And so, we are constantly faced with this idea of choices. Now, let me just, let me just uh, uh, work you quickly through something here. Brother Branham, in this message called Time of Decision, he's just at the beginning here, and he says, I read my text in Genesis 24, and they called Rebekah and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man Isaac? He was going with Eliezer to, to Isaac, and she said, I will go. He said, you know, we have been forced to make decisions. And there are times when we come to the place where we've got to say yes or no. That's just in human life. And there's a time where we cannot stand neutral. And if the Holy Spirit shall come and do His work among us, then we are forced to say yes or no. We cannot remain the same. 
There's only so many times you can kick the can down the road. There comes a time where you have to make decisions in your life, right? And you can't prolong this. You can't put it off. Uh, if you're going to be an adult, uh, you've got to make some decisions. If you're going to provide for your family, you've got to make some decisions. Better off making those decisions in a timely way. And this is what Brother Branham's saying. If the Holy Spirit comes and does his work among us, then we are forced now to make a decision to respond to that. And here's, here's the Holy Spirit doing supernatural things in a congregation. Well, you're, you're on the spot now. When the Holy Spirit does that, you're on the spot now to make a decision. I believe that. Or I reject that, one or the other. When Jesus came through and did what he did, everybody now all of a sudden was faced with a choice. Right? You remember when the blind man was healed in John chapter 9? You remember that? And, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're all disputing about this. And he was born blind. And there's sin in his life, sin in his parents' life, sin in the family tree and everything else. And they're all, they're all uh, debating that. Jesus lays hands on the man. He's made completely whole. And uh, the evidence is there. You know, the man is, the man is made well. And so at the end of John chapter 9, uh, Jesus said, before I came, before this miracle happened, he said, uh, in a sense, you were justified in your position. But now that the miracle has happened, now that this man has been healed, your sin is obvious because you're disagreeing with me. Everybody remember the story, right? Now your sin remains. Now it's obvious whose side you're on. Because when God does something, when God does the supernatural, you're faced with a decision. Do I believe that or do I not? How are you going to know, how are you going to know what is of God and what you should agree with or not? The only way you're really going to know for sure is that you don't make the decision. But the Holy Spirit within you agrees with that. And somehow or another, your spirit bears record with that, that that is of God. I don't know how I knew that this message was right. I just knew it. And when I came across it, and when I encountered it, let me tell you something. I never had, a, I never had training in, in uh, theology. I never had uh, the history of the church. I was a Catholic. Uh, most of the times I struggled to stay sober and stay awake through the, the Mass and all the rest of it. You, most of you know my story. I was not on the cutting edge of uh, the, the, Christian, the Christian faith. Let's put it that way. But when God spoke to me and revealed to me that this message had come, I just, I, I was willing to lay everything down and embrace it and receive it, be baptized in it, and, uh, you know, fully, uh, fully walk in the light of God's Word. I just knew it was right. How many can agree in the same way? Amen. Nobody had to come and, 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 and uh, bribe you. Nobody had to come and convince you. Nobody had to come and persuade you. You just knew that it was right. Amen. Let me tell you, that Whatever it was that helped you understand what was right is still the thing you need tonight to know what's right. And it ain't you. You gotta make decisions. You had to make a decision who you're gonna make your wife. You gotta make a decision whether you're gonna buy the car or not. You gotta, whether you're gonna buy the house or not. You gotta make a decision sometime. And we, we all have, we're all faced with decisions. So very quickly. God has made it a, made a way so that man is placed into a position where he's forced to make a decision. Man cannot live on earth without making decisions. God forces the issue to him. He must make some decision. Am I going to serve God or am I not? And there's a time when you had to make a decision of schooling, a decision of who you'll marry. You had to make decisions of different things. 
I watched all my boys uh, go through the process of deciding, are they going to go to you know, uh, university or college? And what are they going to study? And what are they going to do after that? And what are they gonna, where are they going to live? Who are they going to marry? And all those decisions are big decisions. They're piled up in the early part of life. But they are important decisions, and you have to make them one way or the other. And nobody's going to make those decisions. Nobody's going to make most of your decisions for you. It's wise to seek wise counsel. It's good to seek advice. It's good to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you uh, and all of that. But eventually, the decision, the words have to come out of your mouth. How many understand what I'm saying? Asterix. It's becoming a neurotic age. Haven't got no time. That builds up a place that it breaks up things. The message sermon is called letting off the pressure. Causes people to have hard feelings. They snap and say things that you don't mean to say. Has anybody encountered that a little bit more in the times we're living in? I mean, people are fed up. People are under pressure, right? He could have been looking at our day. Everybody's guilty of it. I'm guilty. You're all guilty. We do things under pressure that we wouldn't do otherwise. There's an excess pressure built up today. I arrived in Hickory this afternoon, and I had a limited amount of time to get to two places, okay? And I didn't realize that everything shut down at 6. They roll up the sidewalks in downtown Hickory, and, and every, every, you know, everything's closed. So I had to get to two places in a very short period of time. And the first place I went to was a shoe cobbler to repair a pair of shoes. And they're the best shoe cobblers in the world. And I love to go there. But I only had a limited amount of time. And uh, so the old fellow, the old Spanish fellow comes out, real nice guy. Some of you look like you know him. He comes out. And usually I deal with the young, the son. The son is very, matter of fact, he has to do this. Here you go. This is $30. So you have a sign here, out the door. Usually very fast. The old man comes out. It's the end of the day, right? Hello there, he says to me, that's fine. So we're chatting chatting and going back and forth. And uh, then he says, all right, I said, how much is it going to be? And he said, this much. So he ran off a a visa thing for me, and he gave me the slip to sign. I go, shh, give it back to him. And it looks like that. I mean, it just looks like a scribble. He said, is that your signature? I said, yeah, it is. He said, does that work legally? Like he was asking me, is that okay? Like, will the bank accept that? I mean, is that legal? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's le- that's perfectly fine. That's really good. Yeah, I do it all the time. That's really good. And uh, he said, you know, he said, I've seen signatures like this. And he reaches underneath the counter and he pulls out a sheet of paper and he's demonstrating different signatures to me. You know, he said, now this kind of signature, uh, it, it would mean this. And this kind of signature we can't understand and so forth. I'm inching my way towards the door all the time. Yeah, I agree. Yes, yes. Wonderful, wonderful. Because I, I just got to go. And uh, I, I eventually slowed down. I figured, all right, if I don't make the second stop, it's fine. But, uh, you know, sometimes you just, we're just in a hurry, right? So all I'm doing is demonstrating. I'm in a hurry. I'm a tight bay. And Brother Bram says, I'm guilty. You're all guilty. I got to say amen. We do things under pressure that we wouldn't do otherwise. There's an excess pressure built up today. I believe, watch now. I believe it's the enemy coming down and pressing. I believe it's the devil. If he could get you under pressure, hurrying, running over something, 
You'll make decisions that you wouldn't make if you sat down and think it over. So create the wrong environment or create the wrong circumstance. And you can, you got to be careful because you can wind up making the wrong decision. And that decision can have consequences a long way down the road. Let me throw something at you you're not expecting. I did a meeting, uh, not here. This is not anyone you would know or not anyone near here. And I asked for questions. Let me give you a couple of questions that they wrote to me. Is there, Brother Barry, is there a valid reason to break off an engagement? What if a guy turns out to be gay or a pervert or if he hurts the girl? What if he has had a previous relationship? What if this girl has had a previous relationship and did not tell the guy about it? That's the question. Is it valid to break off an engagement? The reason that somebody might be in a position like that is because of a wrong choice or a choice made under pressure. Here's another one. What if a Christian pair who are courting underwent premarital sex and the brother suddenly decides to break up or is no longer interested? He's not willing to commit. What do we do now? Third one. Is saying I love you a commitment? I've heard stories about it that you're not allowed to break up with someone once you've told that person you love them. I'm confused. Is it wrong to say I love you to the opposite sex and then consider it a commitment already? Are we committed because we said I love you? That's just three. So you can see why, number one, Brother Branham says, it's important for us to make real good, real good decisions and to learn how to be representatives of the kingdom as real sons and daughters of God, right? But the devil can get into this picture and put young people, especially, under pressure to now make choices and decisions that have long-reaching consequences out here. Because maybe this boy went after a girl who was really pretty, or maybe this girl went after a guy who was really handsome, or whatever else, and now they're in the situation that they're in. Now they're, because of the choices that they made, now they're in a a very difficult position. Do choices matter? Yes, they absolutely do. Don't you think that situations like this would not, uh, you know, uh, happen to young people that we know? All of these, all of these questions and the other stack that I left in my office, all of these questions are asked by people who believe the message. And they're not young, they're not 14, 15, 16 year olds. These are like 20 and 30 year olds. So therefore, our decisions really matter. Therefore, we gotta learn really how to make the best decisions we possibly can, right? Because it matters. So, watch the asterisk. Now we'll watch this quote, alright? We hear today so many decisions, so many made decisions. Brother Bram's talking evangelistically here. Like, you know, Billy Graham and different Oral Roberts and them, they had, we had 3,500 conversions. We had 500 conversions at the meeting, had 700 people get baptized or whatever else. And many times, people's success was measured by the amount of decisions that were made. That's what he's referring to. Are we okay? Okay? 
He said decisions mean a stone or a confession. And as I've said before, what good does a stone do if you haven't got a stonemason there with a sharp word to cut that stone into a placed stone for the building? Just to say we got a pile of rocks and we're going to renovate the church over there. Hey, that doesn't really help us. But all those stones need to be cut and shaped and measured because there's a place for them in the building of the building. If your confession, if your decision to serve Christ makes you a stone in God's house, then you know what? What good are you in your uh, ex-sinfulness unless the Holy Spirit came and began to work on you and shape you and mold you and fit you into the role and the purpose and the place that God has for you in the body of Christ? Listen to what Brother Ram's saying. It's not enough just to have a stone. We want to have a placed stone. I'm speaking to place, I'm speaking to sons and daughters who are being placed. Are we okay? And in order for you to be placed in the right place, you gotta go through things that the Holy Spirit's gonna put you through so that you fit in the place God's ordained for you. We want to be placed stones. We just don't want to be in the pile. We want to be placed. I want to be in my place. Brother Mike wants to be in his place. Brother Aaron's found a place. We, we want to be in our place, don't we? Because we want to be in the right place when God shuts this thing down so we can all get out of here and go to the right place. We want to be in a place. But placing requires molding. Just like growth invites pruning. In John chapter 15, the husbandman comes to prune because there's growth. So when God sees growth in your life, He comes along and prunes that so you can actually grow more and you can produce more and you can become more in His eyes. Are we okay? Now watch what He says. What good does it do to make decisions if you still let the women and men remain as they were and just join the church? What good is it? What, what, what value is it if we make decisions and we have no conscience so that uh, young people in the message can have uh, premarital sex together or, you know, possibly be engaged to a fellow who's gay and he's pretending to be a church member. And now all of a sudden we got issues to deal with that are in our, in our church. And Paul says in Ephesians, let it not be named once among you as become a saints. How do we keep it out? We don't keep it out by legislation. We don't keep it out by authority, human authority. We keep it out. Let me tell you, when everybody has a new birth, and now they're walking under the power of the Holy Spirit. They're walking in holiness. They're walking in newness of life. Come on, somebody say amen. That's, that's how, let me tell you, that's how the church stays clean. That's how we live holy. That's how we enjoy the presence of God, is when we all come in and everything is under the blood. And let me tell you something, uh, there's, a, uh, there's a, 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 a presence among us and there's a continuity within us. But if we're just trying to be good citizens and good church members, what's the difference in that and a, and a pile of stones up the road in, a, in another church, another, another place? Hey, you're not, you're not here just to fill a pew. You're not here just to give your tithes. You are here for some placing of a stone in the wall. You're here for some purpose on the earth, and God is shaping you and molding you for that. You know what? Every one of you have a place in the bride of Jesus Christ. Every one of you have a place in that great elect lady that will leave here holding his arm in the last day and take our place at the wedding supper. You've got a place at the wedding supper. 
And God is shaping you and preparing you for that. He said, it's just a pile of stones that's not shaped into nothing. What we need is a stonemason, a man with the word of God of indicated power to prove that God sent him to shape that church, cut off the worldly things, and shape them into the stones of the sons and daughters of God that go into his building. What a quote. I love that quote. I, I, think, that's, I think that's a, that's a great one. I haven't found any bad ones, but that's a really great one. Many people, many people in this message, I believe, many people who we know often have a a misunderstanding about grace. Because sometimes we feel like, hey, if Jesus did it all, Jesus paid it all, I really don't have to do anything. And whatever I do, I'm forgiven anyway because I'm under grace. Well, let me introduce you to the Bible. All right, And let me tell you about the Bible here, uh, because it explains grace, and it doesn't explain it that way. Yes, Jesus did it all, but not to the point where you do nothing, because you are called to be an overcomer, no matter what age you're living in, right? Watch what he says here. Many will say, well, if the Lord will take this evil spirit from me, drinking, gambling, lying, or stealing, I'll serve him. But that's up to you. You've got to do something, too. They that overcome. You have the power to do it, but you must be willing to lay it down. You have the power, but you've got to be willing to let it go. You've got to be willing to let those things go. You've got to get mad at the devil, right? You've got, to get, you've got to get angry with that enemy of your soul. And he said that God would not push us down through a little pipe and pull us out the other end and say, Blessed is he that overcometh. You had nothing to overcome. He just pushed you through. But you've got to make what? Decisions for yourself. You have to make decisions. You have to bring yourself into a place of accountability. You've got to bring yourself into a, into a place where, uh, you know what, I, I, I want to have some light because the devil loves darkness. I will tell you, every young person here who's ever done anything wrong very often is ashamed to say anything about it because they think, well, my goodness, no one would have any confidence in me. No one would love me. No one would think anything good about me if I went and I confessed that and I told the pastor about that and so forth. And you know what the devil's done? He's kept you in the darkness. And he operates in darkness. The Holy Spirit operates in light. The way to defeat Satan is to bring that thing into the light and let, let the Holy Spirit dispel that darkness. Because i got news for you, all you young people who can relate to what I just said. i got news for you. Every one of us, every single one of us, have either things that we need to confess or have confessed and experienced the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. And I'm one of them. I'm one of them. Now, here's a little statement here, and I've referred to this a minute ago. Let me me give you this. Young, Young ministers would appreciate this. Here's Brother Branham in 1959. He's at in December. This is December 27th. Okay, so he's at the end of the year. He's looking ahead to next year, and he's saying, now, I've got decisions to make for the coming year for all these invitations that I've got. Now, remember, this is 1959, so it's not 1963 or 64, it's 1959. Everyone wants Brother Branham because he's still in the first and second pool, and there's gifts, and there's signs, and there's wonders, and there's healings, and great crowds are coming. Everybody was curious, right? And so this is 1959. He's got stacks of invitations and letters that have come from everywhere. This is, this is, can you imagine a world without emails? 
he doesn't have any emails here. He's got physical written letters that have come to him. And he said, I pick up all my invitations and I bring them home. And for the next few days, I go to prayer and I pray for him to guide me and show me which way to go and what to do. We don't live in a time like it was when Jesus was here, where God led him from place to place. And he was in a town for a few hours and then went to another city. He said, now we have a different system. There's, there's a setup, there's a ministerial groups. A lot of things has to be done. So when Brother Branham went, and I mean, these great auditoriums had to be rented and, and uh, venues, and they had to have policemen. They had to have multiple churches getting together and cooperating and structuring these meetings because they were so big. And you say, well, you know, you shouldn't have that. Well, I mean, if you have a place where there's no crowd control or there's no system there, it can get pretty chaotic. And actually, it can get pretty dangerous, right? So Brother Branham realizes that if I'm going to go into an area, uh, like I can go into India, where Brother Branham had to go down through the basement of a building and get out through the window, and they were pulling, ripping his clothes off of him uh, when, he, when he went out through there. He, he, in other words, I, we had to organize this, and we had to make sure that everything was done correctly. So he's praying. Notice what he's not doing. He's not trying to figure out what he should do in relation to these invitations. He's setting it out so that he will help Brother Branham he will help Brother Branham make the right decisions about where to go. You know why? Because the bigger the boat, the bigger the wake. He's got, he's got a lot of repercussions now because there's some people going to be healed, there's some people going to be resurrected, there's some people uh, you know, going to be truly delivered in places that he goes. But if he's here and he's not there, then you know what? These people are going to benefit from it and these people are not going to benefit from it, at least now. He's got to be sure that he's led by God to go, just like Jesus walked into the pool of Bethesda and took the hand of one and picked him up and said, now you're healed. Here's somebody who's modeling for us that he's doing things in a way that pleases the Father. Right? So Brother Man's not saying... I need to go to India because, you know what, we would really expand the ministry. We'd really grow this thing if we, if we just stayed in the United States. If I just stayed in North America, we could really grow this thing. Or if I, went to, uh, if I went out to California and got on television and got involved in that, it would really expand the ministry. And He's not thinking that way. He's, he's a blank slate here. He's a blank slate. And he's just trying to make the best decision possible based on his leadership, not his own. Are we okay? It's elementary. I know. I understand. The way I do it, I bring all my African invitations, India invitations, California, Utah, put them in separate piles, and I'll let them lay. And I'll take to walking, praying, maybe get in my car and gone, be gone for a day or two, and come back, praying. Something, something comes in my heart uh, to go to a certain place. Then I see it's just, I'll see if it's just an impression. Maybe I like to go to that country. Maybe I like those believers over there. Then if it's impressed me so hard, I go to this pile where there's a certain place and then pick up a letter and read it and see where it's at. And here's the reason I do that. This is what he explains. Here's the reason I do all that. He said, and he talks about the storms being up in the plain and how difficult it is to travel. And then he said, you step off into a land, the first thing you meet is Satan. Well, the ministerial group, some of them are divided on the boat, and some want to go here, some want to go there. And some might say, we've got a change in the schedule, we've got this going on, that going on. Well, maybe the Lord didn't, he said, you begin to say, well, maybe the Lord didn't want me to come. Because of the circumstances in those countries. And I, let me tell you, I can tell you lots of stories about that. But when you get into a country, it isn't always as you envisioned. It can sometimes be way worse. 
Brother Mike will tell you, you travel around and you go to some place and you think, well, all churches are like this. All churches ain't like this. And, and so all of a sudden you get over there and not only are the conditions really bad, but the ministers are fighting against one another. Everyone's being competitive and they want to change the schedule. They want to do this and something else. And he said, immediately Satan will tell you, well, maybe the Lord didn't want you to come. But when you are sent of God, you're ready to meet the enemy. And you say, I step here in the name of Jesus Christ. I came in the name of the Lord Jesus. And here I stay till His work is accomplished. See, then you're ready to meet the forces of darkness. So you see what he's doing. He realizes that if I go to a place, I want to be sure I'm meant to be there. And the only way I can make that decision, because I can't know what it's going to be like before I get there, because only God knows the future, i got to really wait on Him to get that leadership to go and be in the right place at the right time. You see what he's saying? He's practicing this here. Now, now let me change gears, and I'm going to change gears for about three minutes. (laughs) And I'll pick it up again. Go back with me to the book of Exodus here. And here's Moses' father-in-law visits the children of Israel. He shows up. And he gets up in the morning. And he goes out and looking around the camp and seeing what's going on. He looks at Moses there. And he's got thousands of people in a line wanting to talk to him. Thousands. And he's looking at this. He's wondering, what are they giving out? Or what's, what's going on here? What kind of a tent is this that they're giving out something and everybody wants to line up? It comes to pass. He looks and he investigates this and he figures out, wow, this is where Moses is actually sitting in judgment of the, the issues that people have with one another. He put his tent over, over the line on the my spot. He's got three goats, and two of them have his mark, and one of them don't, and I'm missing a a sheep, and you know what? That's my sheep. Because you know why? They're people. People have stuff. People have issues, right? Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from the morning until the evening. And Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people. He said, what is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou self alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning to even? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, because the people come unto me to inquire of God. They want a solution. They want an answer. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do make them know the statutes, the laws of God, and his laws. God's given us laws to live by, and I'm here to make sure that they understand the laws, and to adjudicate, or to judge, or to settle this issue on the basis of the law. And Moses' father-in-law said, wow, the thing that thou doest is not good. You're going to burn out real fast. Because you know what? Issues never end. Right? They never end. And so therefore, you're going to have to have help. Now, later on, Moses uh, calls for men of truth to come. And, you know, he, sells, he, he says all of these men that he has chosen now, they're going, to, they're going to sit in lower courts. And they're going to settle the minor disputes. And the really hard ones, they're going to bring to Moses. And he's going to deal with those himself. 
right? So you can read back in Exodus 18, you'll find the story. Hold on to the thought just for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world should be judged by you, ye are unworthy to judge the, are, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? You know how people in the world think? People in the world think, hey, he did me wrong. You know what? I'm going to go down to the small claims court and I'm going to make a, a, a you know, pull out a warrant against him and, and he, you know, he owes me a hundred dollars and he's going to do this. And, I mean, people, that's how people in the world, we live in a very litigious society, right? Where everybody's suing one another and that's why all, we have all the insurances and that's why we have a lot of elevated medical costs and all the other things that go on because everybody's, they're just dying for a lawsuit. Listen, I knew somebody, <laughs> I knew somebody who wanted to, dig up somebody who had died several, several days ago and dig them up to have an autopsy done because there may possibly be a lawsuit uh, that caused this person to die because somebody suggested that they had heard on the Internet that people who die like that possibly have a reason where they might have a cause and you can settle a lawsuit. And So he wanted to go dig up grandma in the graveyard and get an autopsy done because there may possibly be a lawsuit. And if there's a lawsuit and a verdict that that goes in our way, guess who's not going to get the money? It ain't going to be grandma. She's dead. I'm going to get the money. Now, that's how the world thinks. That's actually a really funny story, but it's actually a really true story, unfortunately. So, Paul is saying here, why would you, as believers in the church, who have matters against one another? Now listen, they did back in Moses' day, right? People had issues, and Moses sat in judgment. And, and so therefore, it's not unusual that, they, that there are issues. But how we choose to decide those issues, how we choose to deal with those issues, matters if we're Christians. Because we don't think like the world. We're called to reflect another kingdom, right? We're called to reflect Christ. In other words, what would he do in, in the, in, even in the smallest of matters? And if we are to judge angels, remember in the text that I read, he said, in, in the regeneration, you'll sit on 12 thrones judging Israel. Isn't that what he said to the disciples? And so if, if we are to do that in the world to come, then should we not be able to settle disputes among us, with, among ourselves? Because we are the people who will judge the earth. But what's really interesting, what's really interesting is how that later on in the book of Acts, take your Bible for a minute. I'll, I'll just, I won't be, I promise you I won't be long, but just go to the book of Acts for a moment here. And let's go to chapter 23. 
No, chapter 22, Acts 22. Paul is in Jerusalem here. This is the end of Paul's ministry now because from here he is going to be going to, to Rome. And he never comes back from Rome. Okay? So in Acts 22, Paul is in the synagogue. God has told him, your ministry is done here. You're, you're going to leave here. All right? You're not going to remain in Jerusalem any longer. You're going to go. You'll find that in verse 21. And in 22, it says that they gave him audience unto this word and then lifted up their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth. He's not fit that he should live. And as they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust in the air, the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle, him being the apostle Paul, and brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging. (laughs) You know what that means? That we're going to do the examination and the torture all in the same time. We're going to save time here. And that's how, that's literally how they did it. And that's how they treated the subjects of the Roman Empire back in that day. We're going to examine by, by scourging that he might know whereof they cried so against him. We'll teach this guy a lesson. Now watch what Paul does. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? You know what Paul does immediately here? He appeals to the Roman law. He says, you Roman soldiers can't persecute a Roman citizen like this. All of a sudden, everything changes. Everything in this story changes. Read it here. When the centurion heard that, verse 26, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Tehi, what thou, do, what, what thou doest, for this man's a Roman. And the chief captain came. This is not a centurion now. This is a chief captain. And he says, tell me, art thou a Roman? He said, yes. And he has a conversation with Paul here, down to verse 30. On the morrow, because he would have known the certainty where he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all the council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. All of a sudden, everything changes now. So he's in a pickle, the chief captain is, because, uh, you know, he's up the chain of command here, and he's got a Roman citizen who the Jews outside the palace want to kill. They want to dismember Paul in a heartbeat. They're going to be worse on him than a Roman interrogation with torture over on the inside. So if he lets him go out there, a Roman citizen, he'd be guilty of taking a Roman citizen and throwing him to the dogs. But if he keeps him in here, he's got to give him the full courtesy of the law before any decision is made. And he's in Israel. He's in Jerusalem. This is where this is happening. It's not in Rome. It's in Jerusalem. So he's upholding Roman law. Go down to chapter 23. So Paul stands there before the Sanhedrin. And you remember this is the part of the story in verse 3 and 4 and 5 where the high priest comes along and says something to Paul. And Paul says, hey, you know, who told you? He says, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. And then someone says, hey, do you speak to the high priest like that? And Paul repents and he says, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't know this was the high priest. So here's, here's now, listen, we've got three things going on here. We've got Roman law, we've got the law of the Jews, because they're trying to persecute Paul because he's, uh, so, uh, they, they think he's overthrowing the religion that God gave to Moses to give to the people. And then we have the law of God. And Paul is respecting the law of God and apologizes to the high priest there. Even though the high priest is his enemy, personally, he, re, he, he repents of that because he said, I didn't know you were the high priest. 
So I'm never in a possession, I'm never in a position to disregard the law of God. But we got three things going now all of a sudden. The law of the Romans, the law of the Jews, and, and the laws of God. And Paul, <laughs> this is what's really interesting, Paul plays all three. And he knows the law of Roman citizenship. He knows the laws of protection. He knows the laws of the Jews and how quickly they'd kill him and string him up and put him on a cross if they could. He knows exactly what would happen if they threw him over the wall, catapulted him over the wall, and left him to the dogs out there. He knows that. But he also knows the Scripture. And he doesn't want to violate the Scripture because now now he's being sensitive to the law of God. Now, we don't have time. But if you don't mind, just go down a little bit further here. And... uh, you had scribes and Pharisees that are in the Sanhedrin, and Paul, uh, you know, Paul plays one against the other, and he says, hey, I'm brought into question here because of the resurrection. And half of the congregation there says, amen, because they believe in the resurrection. The other half's over there and say, hey, but there ain't no resurrection. And the other half says, but there is. And the other half says, no, it's not. And now they're fighting against one another, and Paul is just kind of sitting back in the, in the, in the box. And they're biting and devouring one another. Read with me. Nine. And there arose a great cry. And the scribes that were of the Pharisees part arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man, but it is a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. Let us not fight against God. So they don't know what to do with him because he's a Roman citizen, number one. Number two, he really hasn't done anything that anybody can bring any proof that he's violated any kind of a law. So they're saying, we don't want to fight against God, so let's leave him alone. Now, this is only the beginning of this story, and I, got, I, I had to carry it on because of our decisions and choices and all the rest of it, and I want to kind of tie that together, so I'll have to do it in another service. But I want to leave you with this. We're always interested to know what God's reaction is to events like this. Is God on Paul's side because he's appealing to the law of Roman citizenry and Roman citizenship? Is, is God going to condemn Paul because he turns to the law at all? Let's look at how, what God's reaction is, because that's the most important thing, right? Come on, that's the most important thing is what God's reaction is. And in verse 11, he says, and the musicians, if you'll slip up here, just get ready to slip up. In verse 11, this is what I want to leave you with. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said... Dare any of you go to law? No, that's not what he says. He does not condemn Paul at all. He says, be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Paul, you navigated through here. He says, we're going to take you on to Rome now and go all the way in front of Caesar on the other side over there. Let me tell you something. There are cases where things should be settled by the law. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 5, read it, where Paul talks about if you do wrong, you should be afraid. Magistrates are there for a reason. And there are situations where that's the, that's the course of events, and that's the way, it's, that's the way, that's the way it is in our, in our world, in the way we live. But when it comes to matters among believers here, when it comes to matters among people who are born again, supposed to be reflecting the kingdom of God. Should we run out and settle disputes with attorneys and bring the, bring people, haul people into court unnecessarily? And you can't even figure things out in your own 
in your own church, in your own household? No, there are, there are times when we're making decisions influenced by the world around us instead of the kingdom we're moving to. And I think it would be good for us to study this and just look into it a little bit. Because what happens to Paul is really interesting and in how that, uh, you know, he moves up the chain and deals with all these different people that are up there. To think that, uh, you know, um, Christians as, as we are, that, that, you know, everyone can walk over us and we have no, uh, we have no voice or we have no rights. Uh, let me tell you something. Uh, that's, that's not true. Even though we've given our rights, surrendered our rights at Calvary, we've given our, our right to our own leadership away to Christ at Calvary. I believe that he leads us, and he leads us according to wisdom. Now, having said that, I realize we're at the end of our time here tonight, so hopefully that will draw you back the next time when we deal with this and bring, make some sense out of it and bring it to a conclusion here. Because I believe that the Holy Spirit's interested in protecting you. I believe he's interested in leading us and guiding us. And I believe he's always interested in the best thing for us. Absolutely. But I will tell you something. Our thinking about matters of disagreement should be very different than the way the world responds. That's what I want you to go away with. And so when Paul did what he did here, because God had a mission for him, he's going to go all the way to Rome. Going to go in a very unusual way, but he's going to go to Rome. Paul says, the Lord says to Paul, be of good cheer. He says, you know what, you're not in control, I'm in control. I'm going to get you there. I'm going to see you through. I believe, the Holy Spirit, I believe the Holy Spirit's watching over us in exactly the same way. I believe he's going to get us there. I believe he's going to watch over us until we get there. It may be unusual, maybe quite an unusual ride, but I believe we'll get there on the other side. Not because of all of our smarts, but we'll get there because we made one important decision in the very beginning, that is to serve Christ. Let's stand to our feet. Sorry to have kept you a little longer. I was not intending to do that. Let's sing that little chorus in the key of F. I will praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord. Yes, I will praise the Lord. And no matter what or what He has in store, I know that I will praise
according to your promises. we're always so grateful that we have a word from you, Lord, that guides us and leads us, Lord, in every situation, in the good situations and even in the challenging ones. Lord, I think about these young people that are asking these questions, Lord, that deal with their relationships and how, Lord, maybe just being influenced in one way or another, Lord, and come to a place now where their lives have been changed, Lord, wanting to make real good choices, wanting to make real good give real good answers, Lord. And I, I just I just pray that you would help us, Lord, to absorb, to take in, Lord, what we have what we're hearing, what we're learning, Lord, so that we can become a real reflection of the kingdom. Because Lord, we believe your word is the best instructor. It's the best tool you could use to mold us to a a stone that fits in the will of God. And so Father, I pray that you would just allow us to just submit ourselves to the hand of the Holy Spirit and the work that you're doing in our lives. Lord, for some of us, we just need to perhaps, Lord, be less aggressive on things. And then, Lord, for some of, some of us, Lord, we sometimes maybe need to say things, Lord, where it needs to be said. Be bold in our faith. Father, we just ask that you would just anoint us, Lord. In the days that we're living in are strange times. Lord, things are happening all over the world we've read about, we've heard about, but Lord, now they're happening in front of us. So we ask now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would just draw near to each family, Lord, each assembly, each 
assembly, Lord, around our country, Lord, and believers around the world, especially those who are hurting and need your healing touch. We commit them to you. Have your way, we pray. Bless the balance of our week. Protect our families, Lord, I pray. Watch over each one. We commit our lives into your hands. In Jesus' name, we pray. In Jesus' name, we pray. Let's sing that little chorus, We've Been Made More Than Conquerors, tonight as you go, and may God bless you, and uh, we'll see you on the weekend. We've been made more than conquerors, overcomers in this life. We've been made victorious. blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, we've been made more than of this